you know, add that to the two properties we've previously got, you know, all of a sudden we had a kind of a pretty decent portfolio, you know, a couple of Sydney ones and a high yielding regional Australia unit block, which is, uh, you know, and then basically from that point, we, uh, I, I was obsessed. I was like, I need to find another unit block just like this, because this is, this is awesome. This is the absolute goal. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Scott O'Neill who at the young age of 28 had completed his goal of earning a passive income of $300,000 per annum from property. Growing up in the Sutherland Shire, O'Neill worked as a civil engineer and contractor while buying property before becoming a full-time investor many years later. Most people retire at the age of 65 when employment opportunities are no longer available to them. O'Neill retired at the age of 28 and for the past few years has been the founder and director of a company called Rethink Investing. This is how he describes himself. I'm a residential and commercial investor. I've uh, I've come from engineering roots, and um, yeah, I basically purchase properties full time now. Anil gives us some insight into what his day to day looks like at the moment, being a young person who chooses to work when he no longer needs to. We've got a one year old uh, baby girl now, so starts off with uh, the routine and. Um, Basically, yeah, after that, we I get into our, my day job, which is running Rethink Investing. So it's it's a company that's very busy these days. Like it's It's been a strange year with COVID and kind of a good year for business because a lot of people have prioritized setting themselves up for their future uh, with property. And yeah, so my day is literally talking to agents and clients all day and and it does uh, these days, like i've been working very long hours at the moment so it's it's uh you know the lifestyle by design's kind of uh, blown out a bit but what can you do I, I do enjoy the job so it's not like it's a you know it doesn't have that nine to five feel or, or nine to seven at night feel kind of thing so yeah it's yeah. Uh, just a busy day uh talking property really he grew up and studied in the sutherland shire south of sydney he shares what his childhood was like and how it has made him who he is today. So I grew up in uh, areas in South Sydney. So it's called the Sutherland Shire. So I grew up in um, suburbs like Miranda and Yowie Bay. And uh, I did buy my first property down that way in Sutherland. And um, it was a good childhood. We you know, really into sports, surfing, golf, tennis. It was a, you know, a very active childhood down there. And um, still play all those sports now, so it's um, yeah, good lessons. And uh, I, I now moved. I moved about five, six years ago um, to the eastern suburbs. My wife is originally from this location, and I, I preferred the lifestyle up here. It's a little bit busier, but um, you know, you're, you're close to the city, and I, you know, I like the hustle and bustle. Uh, I've spent time in regional Australia through jobs. You know, I was. Uh, working in places like Port Macquarie, uh, Orange, uh, different uh, parts of, um, you know, Western New South Wales as well for a brief moments. So lived in the Gold Coast for a little bit as well. So um, in between this, I've done some travelling trips as well. So I went to Sydney Uni and during those uh, 
long summer holidays, I'd go to different places. So we worked in uh, Canada. I worked in Canada rather as a chef and uh, a pretty terrible chef. We were literally just a pub chef, but still, uh, I've never cooked so much, uh, so many hamburgers and steaks and all that in my life. And you know, it was it was hard work, but it allowed allowed us to ski every day. And you know, we did things like heli skiing and uh, all that. Uh, Fun stuff. You, it's so hard to do now with a child. It, it was that freedom that you uh, you very rarely get unless you're a, a young single person. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good, um, I guess, lead up. And then once I was getting ready to settle down, this is sort of around 21, 22, I started looking constantly at property, and that's when I bought my first property at 23. And that property was. Uh, in Sutherland, I paid four hundred and eighty thousand for it. It was a house and granny flat arrangement. Uh, it was renting for about six hundred and fifty a week, and um, yes, yeah, so I was positively geared in Sydney. And this was back in two thousand and ten. And many of your listeners may remember two thousand and ten as a pretty bad year for property. Uh, Sydney did decline. Uh, it, it later recovered, but it was it was a pretty flat market for two years. So it wasn't a super strong start into property investing it took me two years of um, pretty much no growth I found before it got going but as we all know Sydney then boomed after that so that 480 grand property turned into a 500 uh, sorry a million plus property quite quickly but the good part of that property was it was positively geared I was getting about $200 a week clear every week and you know that adds up and that helped with future lending and I guess that's why I'm a, I'm a very staunch, positively geared investor. I don't believe in negative gearing. It's uh, it doesn't help with lending. It doesn't help with retirement. You're really relying on growth only and hoping your rents will grow with it. But uh, there's better ways I've found, and that's um, buying things like that. You know that house. And uh, in in more recent years, I'm more commercial because the numbers work so much better, multiple times better, in fact, and. Uh, we're finding the growth in commercial as more people realize this is a bit of a winner is uh is growing quicker than most residential as well because stock is low and um yeah so everything in commercial is really highly positively geared and, and really good growth as well for now so Anil expands on his teenage years into his early 20s where he traveled and worked around australia and internationally but not in the jobs you would expect. Yeah, I went to Newington College. So uh, that was a, a school in Stanmore, Sydney. So um, it was a it was a good school. And that, look, it definitely contributed to getting into a good uni and all that. Um, you know, I think I needed it as I wasn't the best student. I, uh, I didn't like discipline. I, I was had a terrible attention span in class. So. Going to a better school definitely uh, straightened me out a little bit and um, prepared you for university. So that was a, a benefit. And, you know, it was honestly things like we had to, to travel an hour and a half on a train every day as well, you know. So it was just, you know, it wasn't easy, but they're the, you know, you look back on those things and I think it's good to sort of grow up with things not, uh, you know, where you got to travel and do like I was always just open to. You know, traveling long distances, but a lot of uh, other people would prefer not to do that. So for me, it's just normal day-to-day life. And um, and yeah, so went to 
you know, got through school. I, I, again, even I really didn't like school, but I loved all the sport component and that's what those schools were good for. So, you know, cricket and, you know, rugby and all those types of sports were very big. And, you know, and, and that's that was the best part of school for me. But the foundations were being set with, um, I know, I, I guess I'm more analytical based than anything. So I knew I needed to do a uni degree that had some type of maths in it. And it was either economics or engineering. And I chose engineering because basically I, I like the idea of being outdoors a bit more. So I chose civil engineering because I didn't want to be stuck behind a desk. I like the idea of um, managing sites and just walking around and seeing buildings and, you know, building bridges and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and. You know, it's, I, I did electives in university around economics as well, because I did like all the, you know, I, I, you know my, I was looking at shares at the age of 15, you know, I was buying, I actually bought Telstra shares at 15 and was just watching them go up and understanding what dividends meant at a very young age. Because, you know, if you got $500, you can go buy $500 of shares. And instead of getting zero return out of a bank, you can get a few dollars a quarter out of a, a dividend. You know, at the time that was, free money and I, I like that idea and that obviously propagated through to investing later on with houses and and commercial property but obviously uh, there were stepping stones to get there because deposits are hard and university was a a good period where I worked a lot too so I, I was I worked in bar jobs um you know leagues clubs uh, I worked in uh, you know, car dealerships, cleaning cars. I worked as a surveying field hand, you know, like carrying the little um, surveyor light around to measuring heights of, you know, buildings and all that kind of stuff. And it was all just part-time work, but it was good during uni because it, it meant that I was earning an income. So even though it wasn't much, it was forming a deposit for a later date. And the university degree went over four years, so four years of um, you know working part time. It does add up, and you know I, I see many of my clients follow similar trends. Like if you could work part time as much as you can, I, I think the life skills you get out of that are probably better than the uni degree itself. And I haven't really got much out of my uni, university degree. And uh, in fact, I actually did a thesis on how little the engineering degree prepared you for engineering jobs because I was quite passionate about it because we would sit in class and just pure, it was pure theory. There was never anything to do with management or safety or public speaking or nothing to do with that. But that's what engineering really is. It's about managing people. It's, you know, thinking on your feet, creating problem solving essentially. Um, and I guess the uni degree for me didn't really hit that mark. But, um, but then when I look back at it, it, it does change how you think, you know, the, the preparing for exams and all that. It doesn't really matter what you study. It's just the, uh, the discipline of it, which is important. Anil reveals how he got through university with the help of some friends as he wasn't in the right headspace or the right physical location at the time. He then goes on to detail his early working years in the construction area. Like I was traveling during the summer break. So, um, you know, the, the Canada example, I actually overstayed the trip and, and missed a couple months of um, the semester. So I had people marking me off in class just so I wouldn't you know, fail. But, but I, got, I got back in time for the, uh, I guess, the media end of the semester and, and did get through just some of those subjects because uh, 
I was, uh, yeah, just not in the right headspace with studying, that's for sure. But um, I did live on the Gold Coast for one of those uh, those breaks as well. So again, did did about sort of four or five months um, over the summer break up there, and and then started doing a little bit of long distance study and that stuff. And I guess once uni finished, I, I jumped straight into a job. So I worked for the um, company called Leighton Contractors. They've been, I think they got a new name these days, but uh, essentially, my job was to uh, look after uh, small construction sites on building rail lines. So we, uh, we were building in Sydney, so it was basically like turning two tracks into four. And obviously, there's big retaining walls, there's bridges, there's you know moving utilities. Uh, you know, it's it's massive jobs, and you know it was extremely long hours. So think about when you do work on train lines, you kind of got to do most of the uh, the heavy stuff outside community, commuters hours. So that led to a lot of weekend Sunday work, Christmas shutdowns, Easter shutdowns, New Year's shutdowns. It was, it was sort of like the worst case scenario for someone who's coming straight out of uni who wanted lifestyle because you don't get that in those jobs. It, you know, it, it was, look, for me, it was good pay and that's one of the reasons I, I I went that direction because, um, you know, as a graduate with no experience, it was it was better than what I was going to get anywhere else. And, you know, that helped for uh, investing. But that job was what really set me off to go, I need to invest heavily than anyone else because I don't want to end up doing this forever. And that would put the fire in the belly to actually take property seriously and to turn it to, uh, you know, a full, I, I basically treated it like a full-time job, even though it wasn't. It was just something I needed to invest time in because if it went well, I wouldn't have to work to 65. Maybe I only had to work to 55 or, you know, 45 if it went really well. That was an absolute pipe dream. But, um, but just buying like that first Sutherland property where it cleared $200 a week, you know, if I just multiplied that out five times, it's, you know, $1,000 a week plus growth, you know, all of a sudden retirement doesn't seem that crazy if you're hitting those numbers because you could go live in Bali on $1,000 a week like a king. You know, you can go to many parts of Europe and do the same thing. You could go uh, live, in, you know, in regional Australia and just have a cheap place to rent and live off the rent. Like if you want to retire on $1,000 a week, you can unless you've got a lot of kids and obviously then you need to start uh, you know, upping your uh, passive income goals. And that's sort of what we did. You know, I, I had an initial goal to replace my wife's Mina's uh, income. And then after that, it was my income. And then after that, it was just, uh, you know, our, our end goal was to uh, hit 300 grand passive income, which we did by the age of 28. So I'm uh, 33 now. So we're, we've uh, pushed through those numbers now. Like we've got an income enough that we don't ever have to work again and uh, i literally run this business because i i love the property markets uh i really enjoy working with clients like i still uh i still take on about two clients every week and uh, you know that's that's manageable for me because uh you know we really can benefit them from helping them buy the same types of property particularly in commercial where there's um you know there's just not much knowledge in this space there's yeah, and, and we seem to, uh, you know, we're, we've been just getting great results for clients and that's enjoyable, seeing people actually appreciate that. And um, that's, that's what gets, gets us out of bed in terms of the business each day now.
So how long were you actually in the engineering space for before you actually jumped out? Because we're trying to track that history now to understand, okay, and, and then talk a little bit about your journey on the property too. But we'll talk about that first. Um, how long were you actually in engineering for? I worked for latent contractors for about two years and then I took a role in a building material business. So it was like a process improvement role, similar type roles. So we were looking after like concrete plants and, and mines and that I guess that was a more enjoy that was a more business orientated role, which I I, I liked because I like PLs of you know trying to sort of improve the business. Um, you know there was uh, there was a lot of travel involved in that role because we were sort of a New South Wales centric type business. That was a company called Wholesome. So Wholesome is a it's a massive company. They they've got about eighty thousand employees, and uh, we were just in the New South Wales region. So uh, that that role was, um, you know, a really enjoyable. So I worked for Wholesome for about two years, oh, about two and a half years after that, after I left Leighton Contractors. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into O'Neill's ambitions and strong working history from a young age. You know, it was a lot to deal with at that age, but but I did like it. It was, you know, I like the idea of progressing in those businesses, and um, but at the same time, I, I felt like at, even at that age, I was like, well, what's next? You know, I don't want to just have a, the same job, just a larger responsibility. We also discuss O'Neill's early days in property, starting with residential unit blocks. The best part was we revalued it 12 months later, and it went up about 90 grand as well. And uh, I was actually disappointed with that valuation because I knew it was worth more because uh, there was a similar comparable sell for about 200000 In amongst his successes, O'Neill has run into some roadblocks during his career. And we uh, we got this properly negotiated four-month period. So we had to then get a loan approved in that period, which it was done uh, very quickly. But then APRA changed the rules on us. So we had to come up with about 500000 cash that we didn't have. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharm and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey Property Investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1-2% to per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, Simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a high return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. Anil continues sharing where he developed his strong ambition through the jobs he took on at a young age. My first job there was a process improvement manager. So my job was to kind of help improve the efficiency of concrete plants and uh, and the logistics side of the business. So very truck related, very um, concrete plant related, but it was a really good sort of entry to understanding, I guess, industrial areas and I guess the logistics businesses and stuff like that. And uh, I, I was made, uh, I got promoted in that to a production manager. So that's where I had like full responsibility of, uh, you know, a major concrete plant in Alexandria in Sydney. So we're managing about 20 staff. There's a lot of, you know, about 15 trucks in that area. 
Um, did that for a little while and then got promoted to managing uh, five plants. So we were, I was looking after about 70 staff and I was quite young at the time. And uh, I, was got, I got told for me to go to the next level of job, I had to study an MBA. So I was, I was basically told that was required. So I then started an MBA at uh, Uni of New South Wales because my, I guess I wasn't really th thinking I was going to retire from property. I was still playing the career game and, you know, I didn't mind it, but it was just something I, I knew I couldn't do forever. But if an MBA helped me get a better job, then that's, that's why I did it. So I ended up studying an MBA at AGSM for three years. That was a tough moment in our life because at the same time, I started that, I took another role in Port Macquarie for a different company called Adelaide Brighton. So I had um, full strategic and operation and sales performance responsibility for this northern New South Wales business. So there was, a, there was about, well, there was four mines, so there was three business units, uh, quarries, logistics and concrete production. So I had to learn about quarries really quickly. and. Uh, I knew the logistics and the concrete part pretty well, but that business was complex. There was, uh, you know, you're obviously dealing with like environmental issues, heritage issues. There's, um, there's always a lot of safety related problems on highways and we're basically helping supply all the material for the Pacific Highway upgrade up there. So they were basically building, you know, the, the big road up there that's you know, turning it into a, a proper freeway where there's dangerous corners and stuff like that. So, you know, massive jobs. And at the same time, I was in um, my wife's mother was very sick. So we were living in Port Macquarie at the time and we were driving back to Sydney every weekend. So we did that for about, we, we literally did it for about six months in a row every weekend, that, that four or 500 kilometre drive every time. And that on top of sort of working those hours and doing an MBA, it, it was it was a bit of a rough period, and and that's again a bit of a reminder that property had to become, um, yeah, it had to be the the way out from this because this was not sustainable. How old were you by that age? By that time? So I was about sort of 25, 26, 27. You're still very young, Scott, <laughs> at that age. You're already in senior management. You're already doing your MBA. Plus, also, you've already started your property journey at that point, right? Yeah. And look, I was burning the candle at both ends. Like, I, I, felt, I felt like I was, you know, even it sounds silly, but I felt like I was just aging quick, you know, like I felt like I was an old head in a young body because I was dealing, you know, having to deal with big employee conflicts at work, you know, like there was union problems and, you know, there was, uh, you know, I remember I had staff that had, you know, in, in regional Australia, there's, there's big ice problems out there. So you had staff that were once good staff uh, get on the ice and then you, you're dealing with that type of stuff as well. So um, there's a lot of conflict we had to deal with. There was, um, you know, the ever pressure of de de developing, a, you know, a good monthly report to your manager who would, um, you know, obviously we had to produce profitable results, otherwise the jobs under pressure, you know, how do we perform, go find some new customers, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was a lot to deal with at that age, but but I did like it. It was, you know, I like the idea of progressing in those businesses. And, um, but at the same time, I, I felt like at, even at that age, I was like, well, what's next? You know, I don't want to just have a, the same job, just a larger responsibility. Like I felt like it was, 
there wasn't really going to be much variance in the next 20 years of my work life because I was um, doing what I thought I was going to do. Just I just had more employees or bigger problems. And, um, and obviously that would have come with different salaries and stuff like that. But, yeah, it was starting to not become really about the salary at that point. Anil dives into his property journey which started in 2010 with a local Sutherland property. After that, he moved to Port Macquarie where his property career really started to take off. So, bought the Sutherland property in 2010 and then we didn't do anything for two, two and a bit years with property. So, we couldn't. We, we maxed out on a, it was a 90% loan at the time. So, I saved about 60 grand which, which came from all those previous years working part time. Um, and then, yeah, we purchased, uh, my wife and I purchased a unit in Maroubra. So that we did an 85% loan on that. We used a little bit of equity from the first house and obviously we saved for two years as well. So we had a deposit that we worked for. And, and then after that, moving to Port Macquarie, so it was about another year or so, a uh, year and a half after that, we then bought in Port Macquarie. This was when it really started for us. So that was the, it was a unit block, four units on one title. Um, there was, yeah, it was basically four two bedroom units. It was one three bedroom unit, one one bedroom unit and two two bedroom units. So the combined income of that property was over $800 a week. We paid 425 for it. So it was an instant circa 2015, oh, about 17, 18 grand cash flow per annum clear. And that was at the interest rates back then as well. So the numbers worked really well. And uh, again, it, it was just, well, you know, add that to the two properties we previously got, you know, all of a sudden we had a kind of a pretty decent portfolio, you know, a couple of Sydney ones and a high yielding regional Australia unit block, which is, uh, you know, and then basically from that point, we, uh, I, I was obsessed. I was like, I need to find another unit block just like this because this is this is awesome. This is absolute gold. And the best part was we revalued it twelve months later, and it went up about ninety grand as well. And uh, I was actually disappointed with that valuation because I knew it was worth more because uh, there was a similar comparable sell for about two hundred thousand. And I remember the um, I challenged the valuation and the valuation. Uh, the, the the guy was kind of quite smug about it, going, "Oh, you you know, you must think you're you're the, you're the best investor in the world, getting numbers like that." And I'm like, "Well, look, you, there's a comparable there that sold for you know a much better price. It's what's the difference?" And there, he was literally just, I guess, attached to the previous price I paid. And I, I got lucky on the purchase. Def, you know, there was there's a bit of work needed on the property, things like that. It turned enough people off on the day and, you know, I was ready to do a short settlement and things like that. So it did, it was sort of right place at the right time. I was a local in town as well. So, you know, I, I did benefit from numerous little things like that to get it at the right price. After that, O'Neill headed further north to the Gold Coast to try his hand at the Queensland market. He found that unit blocks were the winner for him. The next property came pretty quick after that. I basically used the 90 grand from the valuation uplift and went straight into the Gold Coast, which is a market that I knew because I lived in uh, very close to uh, the area we bought. So we bought in Labrador and that was three units on one title. And that, uh, that, was, that was about a thousand a week return. We paid about sort of four, 
450 for that. No, 480. Yeah, about 450. Sorry for that one. And um, you know, huge yield on that one again. These numbers don't exist in unit blocks anymore. And I've tried. Like I actually um, towards the end when because I was on to a winner with these unit blocks back in that sort of 2014 period. Uh, where I was using that job where I was in northern New South Wales to letterbox drop hundreds of similar unit blocks I'd see. When I was just driving around, I had I printed off a bunch of letters and just said, I will purchase your property for above market value if you want to sell to me direct. I, you know, skip the agent, you'll be financially ahead. Something along those lines. And and it, I, I dropped hundreds of these. And yeah, it, I, it didn't work because no one wanted to sell. <laughs> so... I thought, of, I thought I was going to clean up, to be honest. I was like, yeah, this is great. They're going to want to skip. And people, I guess, yeah, they weren't selling. Um, and yeah, look, oh, that, that's, I bought another unit block in Port Macquarie, which came onto the market. Um, I think I mentioned it in the previous show we did, but it was five units on one title. And this one I bought the day it was listed. There was, um, I remember the agent said this, five or six people from Sydney driving up on the weekend to view it. Uh, he listed it for 710. I tried to get it for 650, then 660 and then 670. And then it literally, I had to pay asking price for it, but it was the best purchase I've ever made because we, uh, we strata titled it um, and my wife and I, and we basically uh, got a revaluation of uh, 1.2 million. So it went from 710 to 1.2 million. So we made very quick, easy money through a strata title process because individually the units were worth more per square meter because it's kind of, uh, it's easier to finance those deals. And, you, you know, you could see where we're making good cash flow, but making good equity as well. And, um, and this is the point where the market in 2014 started to really grow, particularly in Sydney. So there was, um, what happened is the yield started dropping because, Rents weren't growing at the same pace as the prices of uh, houses and units and all that kind of stuff. So that's where my positive geared strategy was starting to hit walls. You know, we bought a couple of houses around Brisbane and things like that, which were covering themselves, but uh, I wasn't really getting the same returns. And that's when we started looking at commercial. He gives us an overview of how many properties he's purchased and sold and how many he currently has. He classifies himself as a classic rent investor. So currently I have 32. I've sold uh, I've sold five. Um, so I, I currently own 32, and um, obviously we've bought and sold a couple in the period. So 32 properties are currently worth. Oh, it'd be north of 20 million currently. Got a debt level on that. It's it's under 50 percent. So we're quite conservative in um, in that, and a big portion of that recent purchases was like we bought in Sydney, which was our first emotional purchase since the Maroubra one. Um, so there was no cash flow out of that. It's just a place to live. But uh, we bought 29 properties prior to buying a house to live in. So we're a, we're a classic rent investor story. If I, uh, I w- if I was buying a Sydney property to live in earlier, like especially a high value one, there's no chance I would have been able to buy the following properties after that. So Investing came first, purchasing a home came second. As with most investors, Anil's property journey has had its ups and downs. He shares his misadventures and misfortunes. I guess buying a house in Sydney, which is, you know, it, it was a 
multiple million dollar place to live in. What I, I found through that process, it was right when APRA was starting to tighten the rain. So we got a pre-approval. I purchased this property because I knew it was, it was sort of like the worst house on the best street scenario. It was one we had to have. And um, we weren't quite ready financially because we were you know, having to, uh, I guess, yeah, waiting for a couple of things to settle and stuff like that. But negotiated a four month settlement. There was an auction. No one showed up, the, up at the auction because this was, um, in March 20, uh, 2018. So it wasn't a great time for Sydney property. Remember that was kind of when it was starting to drop at that period. And we uh, we got this property negotiated a four month period. So we had to then get a loan approved in that period, which it was done uh, very quickly, but then APRA changed the rules on us. So we had to come up with about 500,000 cash that we didn't have. and that but otherwise I would have lost a deposit and the deposit was a very large deposit. So it would have been pretty back breaking, uh, would have set us back a long time, but uh, we t- I took on the risk because I-, I knew it was an 80% sh- chance of going through. And if that went through, that's we're onto a winner. So good enough odds um, for our situation, uh, but it was very stressful because we had to sell a couple of properties that we didn't want to. So I mentioned before, we've, we sold five properties um, and that, that came up with deposits, freed up lending. Uh, but doing all that within four months was tough. And, and there was many sleepless nights and there was, uh, there was a vendor that uh, would have definitely taken our deposit and relisted the property because um, there was, I guess, as soon as they accepted the offer, they regretted it. Because uh, I, I believe they kind of knew they sold it for too little and they would have taken the deposit if they could have. So there was no chance of extending settlements and stuff like that. So the pressure was on to get it done. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a rough four months of having to just work out solutions and, you know, and the stakes were high. Like we weren't buying a $200,000 unit. This was, it was, this was a large one, which, uh, you know, we would have lost a lot of money if it didn't go well, but we, we just got there by about a day. And um, thanks to my broker who was taking calls at 10 o'clock at night, well, you know, going through my portfolio to work out which one we should sell because uh, it might help with lending or, you know, basically free up the biggest deposit. Um, I, I had to sell one of my best commercial properties, um, you know, which we were lucky enough to sell in seven days on the open market. So, you know, a little example of how commercial property can grow. I, I paid um, 405000 for it and we sold it for 500000 12 months later. So it went up 25% in, in a year. And that was great. That was a, you know, big chunk of the deposit sorted just for that one thing. And then, and then last minute, the bank kept throwing extra curveballs and, you know, we had to, uh, you know, show extra pay slips and, you know, all sorts of things like that. So there was a, there was a massive amount of uh, conditions on their approval and there was about 30, in fact, and we had to, to tick them because when you own a lot of properties, it's hard to get residential loans, especially um, larger ones like that because there's extra restrictions once you go over a certain level of debt. O'Neill gives us some insight into how he settles property in as little as seven days as opposed to the six to seven weeks it typically takes. First, probably we sold our Marubri unit off market to our plumber who loved it. And that one, that one's, we sorted that out quick. I mentioned the commercial property. We, 
that sold seven days on the open market. Uh, settlement periods were standard, like you said, but we had four months. So we were getting it done just, but like there was no chance we could have run long marketing campaigns. That, and that was the hard bit. So, you know, again, there was a bit of luck involved, but I, we had good properties too. So they weren't hard to sell. They were just, it's just the timing of it. And, uh, and I guess the lesson learned out of that is, you know, I'll, I'll never do that, anything like that again. You, you're better off just getting a pre-approval when it comes to residential. Get the pre-approval, then buy. If you're doing what I did and buying without it, you're, you're crazy. And uh, I guess I just took the risk due to the fact I've done so much in property and it, it was a calculated risk, but... Um, but yeah, I didn't know how close it would be. And obviously we had the uncontrolling factors of APRA's rulings on lending, which were getting harder. If the goalpost didn't change, it would have been fine. But we were dealing with, uh, like I said, there was a, an extra 500 grand we had to come up with because they restricted our LVR on the loan. Wow, that is very, very challenging. And obviously you survived through it. So basically, from what I can gather, it's just very, very crucial to have actually got a pre-approval before jumping to this. But you guys found a great deal and you thought, this, you know, you could calculate that you could possibly afford this and then, you know, at the end of the day, you worked it all out. Wow, <laughs> I love that story. Scott and Neil's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. Join us for part two where we'll talk about his move from residential to commercial. I landed on the fact I wanted a supermarket or a food-related business because this is this is five years plus ago and you know, I always thought food can't go out of fashion. People have got to eat. We'll find out his thoughts on purchasing commercial property during a pandemic. So, th this is why I like commercial because you can go into sub-markets. So there's three main areas, office, retail, and industrial. So we all know office is not looking good right now. You know, people are working from home, the CBDs are quite vacant. There's a, you know, there's a bit of a question mark on, uh, will it go back to 100% of what, what it was? Anil shares more on the potential struggles with going from residential to commercial property. It's, it's quite involved and every property is different too. So this is where a lot of residential uh, investors struggle because it's not, you know, and I've seen even experienced residential buyers agents try a commercial and they get it so wrong because they're, they're assuming the information's correct that's been presented to them and you can't do that. And that's next time on Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040.